Welcome back to Common Fun Commentary. I'm your host, Adam, and I'm joined by the ever-eloquent Ronnie. Hey, how's it going, guys? Glad to be back. Today, we have so much to talk about because this past weekend in sports is just loaded with everything. Premier League's already back. Baseball's playoff push. Stanley Cup conference finals are going on. NBA playoffs. NFL football starting up. College football starting up. So we have... This is amazing. We have every sport going on all at once after going so long with zero sports. Feels good to be back, man. I honestly do. So starting out from this past week, we had one of the craziest box scores I've ever seen. The Atlanta Braves beat the Miami Marlins 29-9. to They scored 11 runs in one inning, the most runs scored in a game since 2007 when the Rangers scored 30 on the Orioles. There were seven home runs hit, a slugfest the whole time. Everyone on the Braves was just red hot. You couldn't stop them. Even the starting pitcher for the Braves, this would probably be the easiest game for him to record a win, but gave up seven, and then he had got pulled out in the fourth inning. Your pitching's not even good enough to get you a starting pitching win with 29 runs. The Marlins' Twitter account was insanely active. They just kept posting meme after meme after meme, and honestly, the Braves posted less than the Marlins did. At that point, when you're just defeated, you know, that the stop, he's already dead. <laughs> At that point, I think that's that's what you have to accept. And the Marlins Twitter account, this doesn't happen often, right? No teams beat other teams 29-9. I know we this is the second highest scoring game. So might as well have a little bit of fun with it. You don't want it to happen again. The odds of it happening again are unlikely. So I don't blame the Marlins Twitter account for having a ball with it might as well turn something bad into something funny i appreciate humor i appreciate when people can make fun of themselves and what are they going to tweet out oh guys we scored nine. Oh, that's great you scored a lot but we lost by 20 you know you might as well just make fun of it yourself poke at yourself i love it making a bad situation into at least a somewhat funny one to look at yeah they went a whole different route than the rockies did last week when they lost 23 to 5 rockies only posted one thing saying we're in pain we didn't have fun good night marlins was just i felt like they were ready getting clobbered because they had so many memes just on deck just ready to post (laughs) so honestly i think they're anticipating this to happen someday the guy who runs the twitter accounts just back there like rubbing his hands he's like oh finally yes (laughs) opens the the meme folder and he's like send it all (laughs) send it all well premier league is back and recently promoted leeds united was ready to take the league by storm by taking on Liverpool in match day one. Wow, what a match. Scoring frenzy ends up 3-4. to four. Liverpool wins on a penalty. They got two penalties in the match. Mo Salah scores a hat trick. Did you see this coming from Leeds? So I'm somewhat of a small bandwagon fan for Leeds, mostly because, I don't, I don't know if we've talked about it, Adam, but on Amazon Prime, Leeds United actually have their own Amazon Prime original like TV show docu-series, I guess if you want to call it, where it follows them, I think, during the 2018 and 2019 season leading up to their promotion. So I've actually binge-watched all of that prior to Leeds making it to the Premier League now. So I'm a little bit not surprised just because I know kind of the players that they have their coach Bielsa, who comes from Argentina, is basically has transformed clubs in his career of coaching. 
So I'm not that surprised. I am surprised on, I guess, the running start they came out with. I thought they might be a team that, you know, it's the first time in the Premier League in 15 plus years. I'm surprised how quick they came out of the gates, but I'm not surprised by the talent that they do have in the roster. I am a little sad. I think it would have been cool just to see Liverpool lose, of course, you know, to the newly promoted team. But I do think Leeds could shake up the Premier League. I don't think they're a top four or top even six. They, they might be middle of the pack, but they'll definitely be able to play against the, the big boys and occasionally maybe give them a run for their money. So I was not that surprised to see the score. I was surprised about how many goals were scored, of course, but with Leeds keeping up, I enjoyed it. I'm excited to see what they can bring to the Premier League. I really enjoyed watching Leeds in the transfer market where they've been so aggressive and going after players that you wouldn't think would take a transfer to a recently promoted side. They went out and got Rodrigo for their attack. And they spent, I think, a cool 30 mil. They just, just seem unafraid. That's the perfect attitude when you get recently promoted to the Premier League is you're playing these giants. You can't show up and have your tail between your legs. you got to show up and prove that you can play with these big boys. That game, I could have seen the score being 5-6 to six at the end of it. You mentioned the amount of goals scored was a little surprising to you, especially since Liverpool has this God-hailed defense. But that's what I kind of want to talk about. Is Liverpool's defense as good as we think? Virgil van Dijk is considered to be the greatest defender in the world. He was the most expensive transfer. He was kind of the first defender to have a bunch of money splashed on him. He's a huge dominating presence. Don't get me wrong, he is a great player. But I don't believe he is as good as we think. Hot take. Hot take. We give him a little too much credit. Just in the past couple months... He's committed three errors leading directly to a goal. Now, a couple of those were after they clinched the Premier League and they all drank for two days straight and then they were forced to play the rest of their matches. Virgil van Dijk has been looking really sloppy as of late. I think that Liverpool might not be ready for a title defense season. Just by the way they look, they don't look as crisp. I think it starts with the defense. They do have amazing wingbacks and... Andrew Robertson and Trent Alexander-Arnold. I just think we give them way too much credit on defense side. So their wingbacks are amazing at crossing the ball, providing pace on the wings. But I just don't think they're as good at defending as the media hails them to. They're kind of the team that you classify under their offense is so good that they don't need much defense. Yes, their defenders are great players. I'm not bashing them. Like you said, they have Van Dyke. Trent Alexander-Arnold, who is a breakout star in the past two seasons. Robertson, just another key figure to their back line. Joe Gomez coming. He was injured last season, but he's coming back. I just believe because their attack and aggressiveness style of play is so good that they've just basically overrun teams where we were able to be like, oh, their defense is so good. Yes, but they just had that prowess and dominance over other teams in the Premier League that maybe we didn't see the holes in the back line. And now just inconsistency, maybe the lack of playing because of this match day one, you might be able to find some holes here and there. But I think Klopp will probably set this team straight. Klopp is a manager that takes, I feel like he's the kind of coach that you probably fear a little bit. I just think that's their folly, right? They're so attack-minded and they're so offensive. I guess their prowess is an offense that we don't really see the holes often. And when they do get exploited, they seem like massive holes. I do believe they will fix it. 
and they will get it under control. Yeah, their first game was a little bit of a mess with how many goals were scored. I don't think that's going to be the case the rest of the season. They're they're too good of a team and have too many good players on their roster where this becomes a consistent factor. I think it'll peek its head out occasionally against maybe some of the bigger clubs. Klopp will do a good enough job at covering them. And if not, give the ball to Mo Salah, play it through the middle, do what you got to do, just outscore the other team. Hey, two penalties. <laughs> I hate it because diving is a part of the sport, but whatever gets you the win, it might not not been the most pretty win. Four three with two disallowed goals through the mat. A win's a win. They're happy with the points probably, and I'm pretty sure they're practicing on fixing up some of those holes this week, preparing for match day two. So I don't think they should be in panic mode just yet. It's match day one. Match day one, it may not carry over for the rest of the season, but I think this is pretty telling of this could be where they start to decline. All of your attackers in Firmino, Salah, Mane, they're all starting again in their late 20s. Who knows? We might see a dip in performance. This could be a sign for things to come. Speaking of Liverpool, FIFA 21 just recently dropped their player ratings, and the number one overall player they said was Lionel Messi. With a 93 overall, Ronaldo is a 92, and Robert Lewandowski and Jan Oblak were 91. If we're looking at the top 10, however, of top overall players in the world, Liverpool has by far the most, with Sadio Mane, Mo Salah, Virgil van Dijk, Alisson Becker, all at 90 overall, and then even someone like Jordan Henderson's an 86. Oh my god, their whole team is so overrated. Like, they gave Paul Pogba like an 85, and they gave Tiago an 85. So they're saying objectively that Jordan Henderson is a better midfielder than Tiago and Pogba. EA doesn't get a lot of things right. <laughs> <laughs> if you play many EA games sports-wise, EA is all over the place. Don't get me wrong, I love FIFA. I love all those games. Their just ratings are just meh, in my opinion. I think a lot of these ratings, especially early season ratings, like, for FIFA 21, that's about to come out soon. It's like predicting the NFL, right? Preseason, just by looking at a preseason, you can only do so much. You're going to get a lot of things wrong. I think EA is overrated in their rating system. That's that's my opinion, <laughs> their honestly. Their ratings are overrated in themselves. <laughs> what a sentence. What a sentence. <laughs> but my thing is, so if you give a player a rating, right, and you compare him to everyone else at that position, you should be able to make an objective list of who's a better overall player over another. Personally, I'd rather have Pogba or... Can I say Pogba? Jeez, I've had to stutter that every time. And Tiago, I'd take those two over Henderson seven days out of the week. I just get so mad whenever I look at the rating system that they put out because it's so biased to, like, one team. We already harped on EA for the Madden garbage that they put out already. They have people who are ratings adjusters, and that is their job, is to go to games, watch, and see if the rating they give them is correct. Whatever, EA. Get get it together. So with the EA garbage out of the way, (laughs) on to the next sport. We have the Stanley Cup Conference Finals. We have the Tampa Bay Lightning versus the New York Islanders currently the series is 2-1 to one in favor of the Tampa Bay Lightning. And we have the Dallas Stars versus the Las Vegas Golden Knights with the series at 3-1 to one in favor of the Stars. I have the Stars beating the Golden Knights to make it to the Santa Cup Finals. Got to go with, you know, the hometown team all the way through and through. And 3 so, one's a solid, a solid lead. Oh, for sure. I mean, that puts the other teams in a mental hole. 
I'm feeling pretty confident that the Stars will at least make it to the finals. I really want the Islanders to beat Tampa Bay, but I just know Tampa Bay in recent years has been pretty, pretty dominant. But I would much rather see the Islanders in, against the Stars in the finals because I think the Stars could roll the Islanders than Tampa Bay. But right now, Tampa Bay is leading the series. So we'll see. I think the Stars are definitely moving on. Vegas is in a weird scenario where they're not sure which goalie to go with. Marc-Andre Fleury is your number one option, but he's been a little inconsistent this year. I think it's because he's been overplayed. I think they played him way too often in the regular season. And they have a solid number two in Robin Leonard. He can be a number one on a majority of NHL teams. If you look back at the regular season, I think they really should have rested Flurry a lot more. But they were in the fringe area of the playoffs. You do want to play your best players as often as you can and not rotate, especially an elite goaltender like Flurry. He's been hot and cold this playoffs, so a team can't really succeed if your number one position is up for grabs. Like, if you're on a football team and you're switching quarterbacks, things don't flow as well. Same thing goes for hockey when you're looking at your goalies. I got to give it to the Stars. They've really surprised me this year. Denis Gurionov is going to be a future star, especially with the decline of Jamie Benn over this past year. He used to be the bona fide superstar for the Stars. How many times can I say star in the same sentence? (laughs) Tyler Sagan's their most important player. So I got the Stars going on. It's hard to not go with the Lightning based on the amount of star power they have. They've just been a meme in the playoffs for so long that I think this is the year that everyone's overcoming their memes. We had PSG finally making it to a Champions League final. The Lightning this year will break their curse. The Islanders were very hot coming into the play-in rounds. That momentum is hard hard to stop, but after taking a 2-0 lead, they just have to make sure to uh, game four is being played as we speak. Game four, if light, if the Lightning can take it, then it's. I think the Stanley Cup is theirs for the taking. Stars are the hottest team right now. That is the most important thing in the Stanley Cup playoffs. It's not necessarily how you play the whole season, as long as you go on that run right before the playoffs. But I do think that the Lightning will overcome them. Wow, you're really going against the Dallas team, and you know we're Dude, Texas I'm a, natives. I'm but... a Blues fan. I gotta go against the Stars. Yuck. Hey, what do you think about Kiravanta though? I probably butchered his name but everyone's talking about him being quite the breakout yeah he kind of came out of nowhere the stars have a very solid young core and that's why we don't see we don't see as many big names coming from them going into the season we expected people like jamie ben joe pavelski big names that we would see in the playoffs but it's really been their young core that's been carrying their team he, he looks pretty good. We do have those playoff heroes often. Pretty insane. The reason I ask, he was an undrafted 24-year-old. He had 13 games of total NHL experience going into the playoffs. Fill his role and go above and beyond and kind of carry the stars to where they're at right now, to me, is pretty it's pretty awesome. Just because I, I always enjoy seeing you know these people coming out of nowhere, right? Not just like any big name, but I think his story is pretty cool. Especially that hat trick he had against uh, Colorado when they won in overtime. That was, I watched that game. Great game. That's where I love the NHL playoffs. You see stories like that, I feel like, more than any other sport. Heading on over to the NBA playoffs, we already have the Lakers in the Western Conference Finals playing the winner of Game 7 of the Clippers and Nuggets. 
Um, that'll be played on Tuesday, so we're talking in the past. Bear with us. I think it's been really cool to see the Eastern Conference Finals. This is the first year, I think it said ever, that a one or two seed is not in it. It's nice to see new faces. Team that was just recently eliminated on who we will talk about today are the H-Town Rockets. They lose in the second round again. Good. <laughs> which seems to be the Good. mantra of the team. <laughs> And as a personal Spurs fan, and Ronnie being a Rockets fan from Dallas. No, all <laughs> lies. I'm just kidding. MFFL. So as a Mavs fan in Dallas and a Spurs fan, it begs the question, who did not do their part? Rockets fans have often blamed role players in playing not well in certain games. So a few years ago it was Clint Capella. This year it was Russell Westbrook is the blame. A couple years ago it was Chris Paul. But thing is, this team has one common thread to them, and that's James Harden. Hot take. <laughs> James Harden, I think, is the problem with the Rockets and why they don't have postseason success. Hot take. James Harden will never win an NBA Finals with him as the focal point of the offense. He almost won one as a role player, but I think if he's the main contributor, I don't think that they'll win an NBA Finals. Mike D'Antoni, that's Mike, right? That's his first name? Baller coach D'Antoni. He officially announced that he's stepping down as head coach. I don't really think it was the coach. Everyone always wants to blame the coach, right? But you did bring up a good point. The one thing that we did see in all these years, it is James Harden being in uniform for the Rockets as their main man. Instead of pass it to the Italians, it's pass it to the beard. It's going to be really hard for a team like Houston, one, to make it out of the West because it's the West. Two, I'm not saying James Harden is not a bona fide superstar because I do believe he he is. I just think the caliber of bona fide superstar that he is, it might not be at the same level as LeBron and the Lakers and or Kawhi with the Clippers. I think he'll have to understand that his role is not just like the main score. I think as the main man, you got to understand that not only do you do some scoring, but you also have to facilitate for the rest of your team and motivate them through they're getting beat or if they need a rally. I mean, so you I just can't argue like, with his assist numbers, though. This is true. You can't. I think he gets a full front of the blame, right? They need to play defense. But, uh, That's the simple thing. Under Mike D'Antoni, when they started this whole experiment, the whole point of it was play less defense so that we can play more offense. That's why we see so many high-scoring games when they play. Given they can be a great three-point shooting team, you can have off-night shooting. If you have an off night on defense, you still have four other guys who can help you play. Shooting is a lot more chance-based. You're taking a bigger risk if you funnel your whole game plan through that offense. Case in point, in this past series, James Harden, for the eighth time in his career, shot below 20% from the field. He went two for 11. Eight times, he's done that in the playoffs. So, yeah, if you have an off night and your whole the whole point of the way you play basketball is to play offense, so as soon as that fails... You got nothing. I think Mike D'Antoni stepping down just signals the experiment failed. With the right superstars, it was good in the regular season when you play losing teams every two to three games. But when it comes down to the winning teams and the teams that are going to win in the finals, you have to be able to make a stop, make a defensive play. That's why the Rockets even made it past the first round. James Harden played defense. He got that game-winning block. The whole system of maximize offense, don't play defense, they always say defense wins championships, right? James Harden, he is still human. He's not going to shoot 
50% from the field every single day. Playing more consistent defense is the first thing you have to do if you want, as a Rockets fan, you should preach. I know threes are, are sexy, and it's not a good long-term sustainable solution for a team. Sorry, I was just caught up on the fact that you said threes are sexy, so. That's what that's what kids <laughs> want to see nowadays, right? Def definitely made three sexy again. Mm-hmm. Let's hashtag that one. <laughs> threes are sexy. Threes are Let's sexy. That one, right? <laughs> but I grew up on Tim Duncan, Old Man Riverwalk. I'm comfortable with the post-up bank shot on the low block. Hey, if we're going to get nostalgic here, you can't, for, you can't forget Dirk and his fadeaway jumper. Oh, right? sure, sure. <laughs> All right. sure, sure. The way the game's changing, it is to maximize three-point shots. That's the way it's been for the past few years. Thing is, you can't forget about defense because you have all of these teams that are shifting to maximize their offense. And they did get a, a pretty rough draw when it came to the Lakers in the second round. But if you're in the West, you're going to have to play them eventually if you want to make it to the finals. Having P.J. Tucker as your biggest man, he played admirably. There were a bunch of memes of P.J. Tucker, your watch has ended. Your watch has ended. I love a good Game of Thrones meme. Rockets fans, I'm sorry, but the whole system's got to change. Rockets fans, I'm not sorry, but I agree. Y'all have to play some defense. (laughs) (laughs) So, keeping it in Houston, we saw the first game with the Texans without DeAndre Hopkins. Thoughts? Admirable. Is that the, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> trying to keep it positive here. Trying to keep it positive. I felt like they they played against Kansas City a lot better than I initially expected because I just imagined Kansas City running through teams like they did last year with Mahomes being an automatic arm downfield. It's a shame that their first game had to be against Kansas City. I think if it was any other team, they would have had a good chance. I think there's definitely some positives that they can take out of it. Deshaun Watson played pretty well. I'm trying to think of what else. So <laughs> I'm going to counter yeah. what you're saying, actually. I think Deshaun Watson ca- played miserably. Really? I, I don't Just looking at a box score, he looked fine. I don't think it's his fault that he played poorly. You could tell just by his demeanor of when he was throwing to receivers, they weren't 100%. Whenever you put it up and DeAndre Hopkins is on the other end, it's probably going to be a catch. You can run your offense through DeAndre Hopkins. He's just that good. The knee-jerk decision to trade him for David Johnson and some second round pick. Very questionable by Bill O'Brien. I don't know if he was quite ready to become a GM. Being a head coach takes enough. Being a GM's hard by itself. And you're going to ask this man to be the head coach and the GM? Like some people can do it. Like Bill Belichick. Bill O'Brien's not Bill Belichick. I'm not surprised that this kind of trade came out because he's still rather new to being a general manager. You could just feel it in Deshaun Watson. Like I could, You could see by the way he was carrying himself. When a receiver dropped a ball, you knew he instantly thought of D-Hop. It's going to be a rough year for the Texans, I think. They did acquire Brandon Cooks to try to add to their receiving talent. They also added Randall Cobb. These guys aren't DeAndre Hopkins. DeAndre Hopkins is like a top five receiver in the league. Deshaun Watson, he's been blessed playing with DeAndre Hopkins for as long as he has. He's played with him his whole career, and it's turned him into a better passer. Deshaun's going to have to find someone on the receiving court is going to basically have to step up and be like, hey, you can throw up those 50-50 balls for me. What he's lacking is just that receiver that, you know, he does all his reads and he's just kind of like, all right, he's got a slim window that I can throw it at him and I expect him to make a play or at least try to make a play. 
So I think Deshaun is just going through the growing pain. He just needs that number one receiver that he can just toss it up to you. And he needs a receiver he can give a 50-50 ball to and expect to make the play. D-Hop was doing that week in, week out. Like, DeAndre Hopkins was a receiver that was on everybody's fantasy football team. Like, he was someone that, as a receiver, you wanted on your team. I know this past week, Will Fuller had eight receptions, 112 yards. He got thrown to 10 times compared to the rest of the receivers that weren't over, one was over five. I don't think Will Fuller we'll is wait. going to be D-Hop. I mean, uh, yeah, he'll, be, I, I he'll don't definitely think be the he can top fill receiver. those shoes that Yeah, way. he'll definitely be the top receiver, but he's he's not DeAndre Hopkins. Yeah, you're not wrong. I can't disagree with that. Deshaun's going to have to find someone who he can trust, and it's going to take time. So, week one in the college football season wrapping up, we see one conference is really struggling, and that's the Big 12. I mean, I can't deny it's great to have college football back. Seeing the Louisiana Raging Cajuns take down Iowa State, then, I'm all for it. And then we saw Arkansas State take down Kansas State. We saw Kansas losing to Coastal Carolina as well. And Texas Tech almost losing to Houston Baptist. Seeing all those makes me happy. The only Big 12 team that I've always kind of liked watching is OU, mostly because I had a close friend play football there. So I do keep up with OU a little bit. But I, I do enjoy watching the Big 12 just burn a little bit. Being an Aggie, being a small fan of OU, I've always enjoyed it because everyone always beats up on Texas A&M for leaving the Big 12. But uh, I'm excited to see what the rest of the season will bring. I love upsets, and it's going to be an interesting year with everything that's going on. I'm ready for it. On the note of the rankings, we also saw that the AP dropped every single Big 10 team. Since they have yet to announce the plan to play football, AP just said, all right, see you then. We're not going to keep you in our rankings, which makes total sense. I honestly didn't think they'd do it. I think we talked about it in our last episode. You shouldn't be ranked if you're not going to play. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Plain and simple. I get being ranked and not having a game played yet. But if you have a game on schedule in the following week, that's okay. But if you haven't made any plans to play your season – or a late start to your season, whatever it may be, you should not be ranked, right? It's unfair to teams that come in and play. It's unfair to them to be overranked by someone who isn't even going to play. I'm down with it. AP should have done that a long time ago. I'm like, all right, well, we're not going to include you if you're not going to play. It's It only seems right. So I was confused as to why they were even ranked in the first place, but I think they finally got their heads on straight with the soccer season already starting back up short turnaround transfer window is shutting fairly soon we're gonna go around europe and grade the best and worst moves we've seen from teams so starting off with our just going to start off alphabetical but it seems to be our most talked about team is fc waste bin fire Looking at Arsenal's transfer window, this is the year that we won't see many big signings um, just because of the shortened season and teams are financially restricted more than they would. We're not going to see many big name transfers here, but we see two Brazilians coming in center back Gabriel and winger Willian. We've talked a little bit about them, but I think having that second center back will hopefully be a consistent performer for them. Huge ad for them. Uh, they get William Saliba off loan, on loan in France. They didn't overspend on anybody, which is a little shocking considering they spent a fortune on their backup right winger now and Nicolas Pepe. Pretty good transfer window for them. I'd give them a B plus. They were able to sign Aubameyang to a contract extension. 
Lacazette is returning to form, but just based on that first game, they're first place in the Premier League right now. Willian provided three assists. I think Arsenal is on the up and up now. Hey, I mean, if anything, Arsenal fans can say they did win a trophy this season. So, traveling all the way to Spain, to Barcelona, we have my good old favorite club, Barcelona, of course. Under new management, we have Ronald Koeman. Said he was going to make big changes. He's not going to be so heavily reliant on your your typical superstars that you have in Barcelona. They even like go Rakitic. He's gone. They brought in Pjanic. Coutinho came back from loan from Bayern Munich after he scored, what, two against them? <laughs> <laughs> they kept Ansu Fati still. And Messi announced he's going to stay. I don't know what kind of magic fingers Ronald Koeman's working right now. He's able to keep Messi, which was, I think, for Barcelona, realistically, it was probably priority number one. The grade I give him right now, objectively speaking, I'd give him a B. You give him a B for swapping Arthur for Pjanic? Again, their number, I feel like their number one priority for everyone in Spain and really around the world who's a Barca fan was keeping Messi, which they did. Bringing Pjanic was good. Getting rid of Arthur was good. They didn't do anything amazing other than keep Messi, I guess mostly because of his contract clause, but I don't think they did poorly either. Like, I just think they're kind of just there. We're going to talk about Bayern Munich. They were able to secure Leroy Sané, who's been linked to them for two years now. They're just adding an amazing attacker to a fantastic attack. Champions League champions will continue that dominance into next year. Adding Leroy Sané can only be good. They get a future goalkeeper in Alexander Neuvel, who they got off free transfer from Schalke. He's the heir apparent to Neuer. They didn't lose anybody. Thiago has been heavily linked with Liverpool. They already have Corentin Tolisso set up to take his place. They haven't lost anyone huge. They are probably in the market for another right back, but just because they haven't lost anyone huge and they got Sané and Neuvel, I'm going to give them a B plus on this one. So going back down to England, I'll bring up Chelsea FC. I have to give them A+, man. This transfer window, Frank Lampard, the head offices at Chelsea, really said, screw the money sign. Bring in whoever you want, whoever we can get. Brought in Timo Werner, Hakeem Ziyech, Kai Havertz, Ben Chilwell, Thiago Silva on on a free transfer. So the one position I'm kind of holding my breath for is definitely the goalkeeper position, right? They did submit a bid for Mendy from the French League, wanted by other French teams right now as well. Like, he's kind of a a sought-after keeper. If they can fill that last little spot, Chelsea definitely gives Man City and Liverpool a run for their money. But overall, not including the goalkeeper moves, if that happens, I have to give them an A+. They brought in essentially superstar names to each position on their field, except for goalkeeper, right? Thiago Silva, yeah, he's on the older end. He's 35. Still, though, every I know Thiago Silva. He had played many years at PSG. Was their center back through and through. Ben Chilwell on left back. Solid pickup from Leicester. Kai Havertz next to Hakeem Ziyech as a winger. And then Timo Werner up top, that, that's an A-plus, man. I have nothing else to say. They're going to be a scary team if they can get all the pieces fitted and working. I'm just afraid they'll break financial fair play. Yeah, that could that could be a thing. We'll have to see how it plays. <laughs> so heading on to Italy, the, the Europa League finalists in Inter Milan. They've picked up Ashraf Hakimi, who was on loan at Dortmund 
from Real Madrid. They picked up Alexander Kolarov on a very cheap transfer from Roma to solidify those two wingback positions. And then the dark horse candidate for best transfer window is Inter Milan. They've been relying on Ashley Young as an important part of their team for a long time. And that's not a winning strategy. He's not ready to tear up Juventus. Inter Milan, definitely with Hakimi, he's 21 years old, extremely fast, great at crossing. He's a great passer. And Kolarov is, they got him super cheap. He's very experienced in the Italian league. And he can still be a strong, solid defender on the left side. And that brings a lot to them because they do play with three defenders and then two wingbacks as well. And then adding Alexis Sanchez as an attacking option when you already have Lukaku and Lataro Martinez up top. And they're also rumored with Arturo Vidal to solidify their midfield. So I think Inter Milan has had a best transfer window. I'm comfortable giving them an A. So keeping it in Italy, we have to talk about Juventus, right? Ronaldo wanted out per se, which is probably like the biggest news to their team. Other than that, though, they did swap basically Arthur for Pjanic. I think Barca got the better deal out of that. I do think Arthur will probably find more playing time in Juventus, so good for his career. I do like the Weston McKinney loan from Schalke. you got to support the hometown boys, the U.S. boys. I think that'll be really good for him. I think he'll get really good experience in that midfield if he gets to play. He's going to be playing next to Ronaldo, so just that in itself is going to help improve him. As of right now, Ronaldo's still at Juventus. They brought Felix Correa from Man City. 19-year-old, not really that well-known, but if he can develop there, could be really good pickup for them because he was only a 1.1 million deal. That That's not going to break the bank for Juventus. All in all, kept their big names, brought in some... Eh, transfers, honestly. I'd have to give them a C to a B- minus rating, honestly. Nothing too exciting, but also nothing to be like upset about. They are rumored to Olivier Giroud from Chelsea. If they can pick up Olivier Giroud, in my book, that's probably better for Chelsea. <laughs> Olivier Giroud is on the older end and bringing in Timo, and they have Tammy, they have Christian. I think for Giroud it would be a lot better just to get out of there because he might not find that much playing time, even though he did find a little bit of form towards the end of the later half of the last season. I will give him that. I just don't think Olivia Giroud is like a, oh my gosh, we'll see what happens with him. Heading back over to England, talking about Manchester City. Discussed at length the Nathan Ake and Fernand Torres transfers. Uh, Nathan Ake, is, I think, is probably the best transfer and the best fit out of anybody. Torres is a great backup option, replacement to Sané. Added a couple of depth options and prospect options. They didn't lose anybody except for David Silva and Leroy Sané. I give them a B plus. Nathan Ake transfer is a huge one. Uh, I know they're still in the market for Kalidou Koulibaly from Napoli. If they can add Koulibaly to that, I'd bump them up to an A even. Staying in the same city, we got Manchester United, right? The, the boys in red, the Red Devils. They brought in Donny van de Beek from Ajax. About $40 million, right? Coming in, central midfield, Dean Henderson. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's, he's coming in from Sheffield. I know you put me on Dean Henderson when he was at Sheffield. Mm-hmm. So I know you're probably excited to see him. If David De Gea ever goes down, or Dean can be just... a, a really solid backup for him. I, I could see Dean Henderson kind of being that second rotation of you know FA Cup games. Maybe if there's like a Champions League game during the week and De Gea maybe needs a break. I feel like he's definitely a player worth putting out there just to see what he's got. I'd have to give him. They kept their big names. Bruno, of course. 
all in all, a solid B rating. I give him a C plus, and that's a good thing, I guess. That that means it's better than average. But do you think that Van de Beek crowds their midfield though? He Bruno's going to be on the field regardless. So Bruno's got that solidified spot. It'll it'll be a big rotation, right? You got Pogba, Matic here and there. It, it'll be a good rotation that I think might be might help keep Man United healthy, or for injury really. It's healthy to have rotations, right? Players get playing time. You might lack some consistency, but if a player gets hot, just keep them there, right? I could see their central midfield being just basically Danny, Bruno, Pogba, just a rotation. And I think that's kind of what Ole's trying to do. It's always good to have competition in a specific position because then that forces your players to play tough and do well in practice so they get those minutes on the field. I got to say, some winners that we haven't talked about yet. Everton did a sneaky, great transfer window. They really did a midfield overhaul, getting Alan from Napoli, Hames from Real Madrid on a free transfer, and then the hardest name to pronounce, Abdullahiye Ducore from Watford. That midfield overhaul, I think, is very important to their team because they have solid attacking options and not the worst back line. So they they did have a lot of inconsistency, especially after they lost Ross Barkley to Chelsea a while back. Um, they, they've been searching for that consistency from the midfield. They were able to upset Tottenham Hotspur today, 1-0. So uh, I think that they had, they had a solid transfer window. On the flip side of that, the team that probably had an ugly transfer window is MLS side, Inter-Miami. David Beckham owns the team. And he wants stars on his team. He wants European stars. The opposite of what we talked about in our Premier League episode when we talked about the USA talent in the MLS. To increase popularity, we want youth in the teams and not aging stars. So Inter-Miami did the opposite of that and stuck with MLS tradition of on free transfers. They got Blaise Matuidi from Juventus. And then they're also, I think in the coming days, will be announced as Gonzalo Higuain. Great players, don't get me wrong, but... They are both at least 32, 33, going to take up a majority of your wage budget, which you won't be able to use on your prospects. USA prospects will continue to develop in other countries. So thank you, Inter-Miami, for continuing the MLS tradition of purchasing old stars. Hey, but they sell tickets, though. I guess. (laughs) At At every MLS president, team president. So we posted a poll on our Facebook and Instagram. Y'all can ask us pretty much anything. We have Kyle asking, will Wolves winger Adama Traore leave? And if so, where will he land? I could see him leaving Wolverhampton just because a bigger club is going to buy him up. They're going to try to hold on to him and offer him a good contract. I just see this man getting bought up by a big club, whether that be a bigger club in the Premier League, either going to Spain to play, maybe going back to his boyhood club of Barcelona. With his aggressive style, as much as I hate saying it, how dominant he is on the side, I could see him at Bayern. Not saying that's going to happen, of course. He's going to end up at a big club. He's not going to, I don't see him staying playing the rest of his years at Wolverhampton. Would you see him leaving in this window? If he plays like he did last season, which I could see that happening. Yes, because last season, a lot of teams were linked to him. There's a lot of rumors of him getting scooped up by a bigger club. I definitely see him going to a bigger club at some point. I don't think it'll happen this year. They just purchased Fabio Silva for a lot of money for an 18-year-old, hailed as the next Ronaldo. Since they just purchased him, they might be developing him as Traore replacement. I think he will end up at 
Barcelona or Atletico Madrid, but I don't see him leaving this window at all. This window, I, th- I think he's important to what Wolves are trying to accomplish this season. All right, next up we have Ryan who asked, does college football pose a bigger risk of being shut down than the NFL? Absolutely. NFL, you're able to contain your players a little bit better. Professional players, they get paid. So if they do something wrong, what do you do? You take away that. Money's important to people. So it's a lot easier to discipline. It's a lot easier to control. This is their job, is to play football. So the NFL, I feel like, is a lot easier to contain any sort of potential outbreak. College football, we've already seen it in a few games being postponed. Um, The Baylor-Louisiana Tech game this past weekend was postponed because 38 players on Louisiana Tech tested positive because of close quarters traveling after Hurricane Laura. College football, I think, poses a lot much greater risk at shutting down due to the money as well. NFL is able to afford flying someone to another city. NFL has a lot more money to be able to control and any potential exposure. For sure. With college, right? It's an education-based institution. No, it isn't. If the school... (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes it honestly feels like it's not. For example, let's say a school shuts down. It's really hard to see the school being like, well, we're shut down. You know, we sent all of our students back home, but we're going to allow the football team to stay and practice and live on campus. That just seems like it's not going to fly at all. I, I do believe college football is at a bigger risk. A breakout happens on a football team, but it, it's basically over for that football team with quarantine and trying to trace back who was with who. And, and I know in the NFL, for example, they have players wearing armbands like wristbands it tracks who they come into contact with at what point for how long that's how the nfl will be able to track that's just how much money and how many resources nfl has that some colleges might not have maybe your bigger schools could potentially pull something like that but there's definitely resources in the nfl that college does not have now it's time for our favorite headline of the week so sheffield wednesday is deducted 12 points, which is equivalent to four wins for the 2021 season. Aren't they in, like, third league? They are in the third league. So, essentially, they got to win four matches to start at zero. They're starting at negative 12 points. Wait, why? (laughs) They broke the season spending rules now in the third division, and they broke money spending regulations. So, a third-tier team is going to start at negative 12 what if they did that for, like, other sports? When the Patriots got caught filming the Bengals practice, they got a slap on the wrist, essentially. You start the season 0-1, even though you haven't played any games. So when it comes down to the end of the season, if you're 10-7 and and then another team went 10-6, and the 10-6 and team would move on, right? Because of winning percentage. To punish teams, that's what you did, is you just hand them losses. This is a bigger punishment for a third-division team than the Astros got for cheating in the World Series. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> Good luck not getting relegated to the fourth league. My favorite headline this week, we mentioned them earlier, Wolverhampton. Looking at their squad, they currently have 10 Portuguese players. As an English side, they acquired Fabio Silva, and they just recently secured the loan of another Portuguese player, Vitinha. And they're rumored for a a couple other Portuguese players as well. 10, they're only one away from having their entire squad, their entire starting squad, being Portuguese. Traore might not fit in because he's not Portuguese. So he, he'll probably leave someday. <laughs> you can't sit with us. You're not Portuguese. <laughs> <laughs> that's, 
that's all the time we have today, guys. Thank you for stopping by. Common Fan Commentary is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Podomatic. We post polls on our Facebook and Instagram, so be sure to follow us there. If you have any ideas for future episodes, feel free to shoot us a message. Thanks so much, everybody. Y'all have a good one. See you, guys.